Good morning, church. Buenos dias a todos. My name is Nelson Barreto. Together with my wife, we serve the awesome Rancho Ministry of the Inland Empire region. As some of you may know, a couple of months ago, we moved from Santiago de Chile, South America, where we served as missionaries leading the church, the churches there, for five and a half years. And today I would like to share with you the most important lesson God taught me during that time in Santiago de Chile. So please, let's bow our heads and pray before the message today. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can come before you with the desire to listen to your heart. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit can work in whispering to our hearts and mind your desire, Father, your heart, your wish for us to change individually and collectively. I pray that you will pull me aside and it will be your message that remains and transforms each of us. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to listen to you this morning. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen. So what is the most important lesson that God showed me in our time in Chile in the last five and a half years? Well, soon after we arrived in Chile, it became really apparent to us that the church was in a really bad place. Unfortunately, a 170-member congregation has suffered a lot, especially over the last 15 years when we got there. There was a lot of apathy, distrust, disunity, criticism. Very few wanted to know anything about leadership or discipleship. Some, some were even hating one another, unfortunately. And in one word, the, the church was hurting. The church needed change, a lot of change. You know, but changes of the heart, of the character, deep transformation takes a lot of work. I just didn't know that change needed to start a lot closer to home than I expected. So I want to share a story with you of what happened to us when we got to Chile to illustrate or to set the setting of the message today. It happened that since the moment we got to Chile, you know, five and a half years ago, this was July 2015, wherever I went, at any point that I was, and I was talking about what we were doing in Chile, one question arose, the same question people would ask every time. It doesn't matter where we were at the airport, grocery store, uh, the kids' school, at church, the same questions tended, tended to come up over and over again. And that question was, why are you here? I mean, the question came from neighbors, from uh, the school principal, from teachers, from brothers and sisters in the church even. Why are you here? And you might want to write this question down. Why are you here? 
Why coming from the U.S. to Chile? People want to leave Chile to go back to the U.S. You're trying to figure out how to leave our country. What, what in the world are you doing here? Are you crazy? You had nothing else to do. I'm sure you just came to visit, you know, from families and from friends around us. But even in the church, you know, the situation was so bad that even in the church we would get asked the same question many times. Why are you here? And, you know, sometimes it was like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing here? Uh, are we that messed up that we couldn't do it ourselves? Why are you here? Uh, what are your motivations to be here? What are you coming to do? I mean, it, the hearts were just not trusting. So they kept asking, why are you here? Some asked that question jokingly. Some asked that question out of curiosity. Some out of serious concern. And either now that in the beginning I would answer that question in a very cliche way, oh, we came to serve, we came to, you know, raise up leaders, we came to help the God heal the church, uh, we came to, to love people, and that is all true. But as time went by, and that question kept creeping up, I started asking myself, is this something people are asking, or is there more? Would it be that God is asking me, Nelson, why are you here? Well, it so happened that one day, I would say a month into being in Chile, I got together with one brother. This brother uh, had been in the church for many, many years. People loved him and respected him. He was a single brother. And he sat down with me uh, at at a Starbucks, I, I wanted to get to know him. And we sat down, we started talking, and imagine what question came up. Well, the same question, right? But in a very serious tone, he asked, Nelson, why are you here? And you know, I was not about to answer in the same ways that I would answer everybody. As a matter of fact, I stayed quiet. I thought about it a little bit, and I asked him back. I, I asked him, brother, tell me, why do you think I should be here? Why am I here? Can you tell me that? I remember that moment as it was today. You know, there was silence. He looked at me intently into my eyes, and with a soft and a very firm voice, he said, Two words. He said, to die. To die. At that very moment, I, it felt to me, at least it felt that like God was talking to me directly. And the scripture came rushing through my mind. John 12, 24, that says, Very truly I tell you, unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if he dies, he produces many seeds. And I'm staring at the brother, my eyes are watering down, and I begin to teary-eye, and, and before I could say another word, he said, don't come to visit 
come to die. And I lost it right then. I remember exactly where I was. And I lost it. I started crying because I was hearing, I was hearing the answer from God. The question he's been asking me, Nelson, why are you here? And I heard that was God telling me, this is why you are here, Nelson. You are here to die. If you want a title for today's message, it's simply these two words, to die. And I pray that today we can learn, as I have learned and I continue to learn, a very important lesson. Yes, the church had to change. A lot of change needed to happen. But I needed to realize that the change began with me. You see, there, there were areas, and there are areas in my heart that I knew I needed to work on even more. And I have been a little bit like on the fence to really dive in, dive in into these areas. You see, by nature, I am very selfish. And Chile helped me realize how prideful I am as well. My selfishness and my pride shows itself in losing my patience, in being rude, in focusing more on the task at hand rather than people. You know, I get frustrated when things are not done the way I think they're best. I tend to think that I know how to do things better than everybody else. And there was kind of a, like a subtle pride, arrogance in me about that. And I needed to deal with my heart. God took me to Chile to deal with my heart. And I realized that while God worked in changing my heart, in transforming my heart through His Holy Spirit, He was going to do His work of transforming and changing the church in Chile. So my dear brothers and sisters, friends and families, those of you that are connected with us today, I have come to learn and understand more than ever one simple truth. And I hope that you can meditate on this statement and don't forget it. Not only today, but this week and the coming weeks and months. And it's what I learned the most. What God showed me, the lesson He taught me in that missionary work in South America. And it's this. To be part of the change we need to die to be part of the change we need to die let's go to john chapter 12 in context the scripture that came rushing through my mind let's read from verse 20 to see what was happening right before jesus ordered those words in verse 24 so we're going to read beginning Verse 20 of John 12. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. 
they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm perplexed at Jesus' interaction with his disciples, especially his responses. I mean, here comes Philip, right? He did not know what to do with these Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. So they come, we want to see Jesus, and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes to Andrew, like asking advice. Hey, what do I do with these Greeks, man? They really want to see Jesus. And it seemed that Andrew didn't know what to do either. So they together go to Jesus and say, hey, what do we do? We got these Greeks. They want to see you. And, and I don't know about you, but I would expect a different response from Jesus. If these men want to meet Jesus, I, I expect something like, hey, bring them over. Uh, let's get to know them. Set up the cafecito. You know, they have some coffees and crackers or donuts. So let's get to know them. Let's spend some time with them. Let's build a relationship with them. That's what you and I would expect. But that didn't happen. Suddenly, Jesus says, as if to answer Andrew's question about the Greeks, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I don't know about you, but I imagine Andrew's face like, I'm sorry? What, what do you mean, Jesus? And to make matters worse, look what he says in verse 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I don't know about you, but I'll be there like, why Jesus answered like this? I mean, is there a connection between Andrew's question and Philip wanting to, these Greeks to meet Jesus and, and how Jesus responded? Isn't that kind of odd? You see, at that moment, these Greeks came to see who Jesus was. And it just turns out that Jesus was going to die in a very short while, not only for the world, but for these Greeks as well. And it is as if the Greeks had come at a crucial hour and moment in time. With almost the same question in the air. Jesus, why are you here? And what does our Lord responded? He said, I came to die. I came to die to produce much fruit. And immediately, you and I, you know, when we hear Jesus saying, I came to die for the world. I came to die for you. I mean, you and I, that's good news. Amen. We go, amen, Jesus. It's so great that you came to die, that you came to give your life for us. 
That is great. That's good news. And it is good news. I mean, Jesus was the only, the only one that could die for the whole world, right? And we might even tend to think that really does not apply to me. I mean, if Jesus came to die, good for him and good for us. You know, and I think some of us would love for the scripture to end in verse 24. But it doesn't do that. Jesus continues in verse 25. And this verse has a direct impact in each of our lives. In verse 25, Jesus continues, Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus switches from first person to third person. He goes from I came to die to whoever dies. And I don't know if you realize what Jesus is talking about. Do you realize the calling is for all of us? Whoever serves me must follow me. I don't know if you understand the magnitude of those words. You know, if we were to ask, who wants to serve Jesus? Let's take a survey. Who wants to serve Jesus? Everybody would raise their hand. I want to serve him. I sing to him. I'll worship him. But how many are willing to follow him? Because following Jesus involves following him all the way to the cross. Following Him means dying. Following Him means what He just said, hating our lives in this world. Do we understand what that means? Hating our lives in this world. Hating who we are without God. The word hate is a really serious word. Hate, reject, abhor, detest whatever in us that is not like God. It's, there is so much to the test that Jesus says, hate your own life. Following Jesus means changing, transforming over and over again. Because the call to die to ourselves is an everyday task. You see, God's message today for all of us is simple. But it applies to our entire life. To be part of the change, we need to die. In order to see change, we need to die. Or oh, everyone wants change. Many protest for change. We claim change. We want things to change. But very few are willing to change themselves. 
let alone dying to one's self. Like I said before, that first month in Chile was evident how much the church needed to change. But especially, I needed to start changing myself deeply from the heart, and that's what I did. I took a deep dive together with my wife to look deeply into our hearts what I needed to change first, what I needed to die to myself first. I couldn't ask the church to change, leaders to change, if I wasn't willing to change first. And it had been so great, so refreshing to be able to see my heart and change deeply from the heart, beginning to be more in tune, more aware of my emotions, more aware of when those things creep in, in my heart, in my emotions, that want me to be rude or selfish or arrogant. It is so refreshing to be able to be humble, be approachable, allow people to come in and tell me what they think, good or bad, and be willing to listen. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's so refreshing. I was able to understand that my lack of patience hurts deeply those around me. And it's honestly something that doesn't produce anything good, like James 1.19 says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anger, lack of patience, does not produce the righteous life that God wants and desires. And I don't know what it will be for you. What is it that you need to die to in order to be part of the change? in order to produce change in your life, those around you, your community, even the church. But surely there's something. We all have something or more than one thing in our lives that we must die to. You know, the Holy Spirit wrote these words more than 2,000 years ago. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible reads, But mark this, there will be terrible, terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, no lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. I ask you, what must you die to? What exists in your life that hurts God and others around you? Is it your selfishness? Is it your greed? Is it looking out only for yourself? It's a disobedience 
to your parents and authorities in your life? Is it ingratitude, being ungrateful? Is it insensitivity, not being able to hurt or feel the pain in others? Is it slander or gossip, talking about others instead of talking to others about what you see in them? You love talking about others and talking about others' mistakes, or how many people should do things better. Are you slandering others? Are you impure? Are you giving in to pornography and immorality and impurity? Are you unfaithful? Are you vain? Loving to call attention. I am really concerned about the social media and all the people that want to call attention to themselves. Look at me. Look how pretty I am. Look how I dance. Look how I, I, I. And it's calling attention to yourself. Be careful to not be considered or vain. You know, do you dress to expose yourself to others? Or do you dress for God? Are you more a friend of pleasure than of God? These are things that we need to... Jesus says to be part of the change, to change, to produce fruit, we need to die too. How about pride and arrogance? Are you one of those that can admit your mistakes? Are you too prideful that you cannot say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I have no excuse for what I did or what I said that hurt you. Pride and arrogance. That's something that we need to die to. You know, the Bible teaches in Philippians 2 that we must consider others better than ourselves. We must die to self-righteousness and arrogance that tells us that we know how to do things better than other people. I'm so much like that. God hates that. Oh, if I were you, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. No, we wouldn't. The reality is, it would be anybody else in their lives, with their history, we would think and feel exactly what they think and feel. But we're so arrogant that we don't take the time even minutes to stop. Stop thinking about ourselves and considering others. Let me put myself in your shoes. Let me listen to your story. That is being humble. And we need to practice this. We need to do this. It's sin. It's flat out sin that we need to die in our lives. Or even worse, do you appear to be pious, religious, spiritual, but your conduct and the way you live destroys the power of godliness? the power of the cross. 
the power of God's love and grace? God forbid. We are the kind of people that appear to be religious and spiritual. And I'm not fighting to die to selfishness and arrogance and pride and impurity in our lives. We must die to these things. I don't know what it will be for you. But we all need to die to ourselves. You know, even the Apostle Paul, after all his life of missionary work, after all the sermon, all the preaching that he did, and he grew in his relationship with God, look what he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to his disciple, to his apprentice. He's writing these words to someone that he is leading. He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here's a truth worthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I have shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who will believe in him and receive eternal life. Even the great leader and apostle Paul, after planting many churches and write almost a third of the New Testament, with all the spiritual achievements of his life, he admits, he is open with his life, and he says, I am still the worst of sinners. He didn't think he was going to lose any authority with Timothy. He didn't think, oh, I got I to gotta look good in front of others. No, he was humble. He was honest. You know, if you're a leader in God's kingdom, you're a servant of, the God's, pe of God's people, can you still see how much you need to change? Are you open with your life, even when those, with those you lead? Are you open and vulnerable with your life? This is, this is what I'm going through. Or we want to look that we're perfect. That was not how Paul was. That's not how Jesus was, even with his own disciples. We need to admit where we are in order to begin to change who we are. You know, the good news is what happens when we die. When we decide to die, which is hard, it's difficult, I admit it, it's really difficult. It is hard. It takes humility. But there is a great news when we decide to die. When you leave behind and put everything that hurts God aside and you're willing to die to that, look what Jesus says. And I repeat it again. John 12, 24, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed but if he dies that's a great but you know there are buts in the bible that are awesome however that are incredible but if he dies 
he produces many seeds. Dying is hard, but he produces many seeds. What is the, what is the contrary to that? Remaining only a single seed. I don't think any of us want to remain only a single seed, alone, without an impact. We all want to have an impact. But God is the one that produces many seeds in us. You don't even have to produce the seeds. You don't have to work to produce. All you have to do is die. Surrender. Admit it. Ask for forgiveness. And then God produces many seeds in your life. You know, if you die to dishonesty, God will produce honesty and integrity in your life. And everybody will see it. If you die to impurity and immorality, God will produce a pure heart in your life. If you die to gossip and slander, God will produce trust among those that are around you and will begin to trust you. If you die to selfishness, God will produce a generous heart in you. If you die to pride and arrogance, God will produce a humble life, a life of humility, a life that represents our Lord. And not just that, Jesus also said in verse 26, My Father will honor the one who serves me. You know, I don't remember a moment in my life when I decided to humble myself, to die to myself, that I would regret it. But I do remember many times Unfortunately, that I didn't die to myself, that I wasn't humble, that I regretted deeply the consequences. It is worth dying for God to produce much fruit in your life. You know, God produced a lot of fruit in Chile. In those five and a half years, my wife and I were witnesses of what God produced. It wasn't us. It was Him. All we did was dying. And we saw before our very eyes how God healed unresolved wounds and conflicts between brothers and sisters that hated one another literally. We saw with our very eyes how God created a great spiritual family that listened to one another, that loved one another, that liked one another. We saw how Jesus raised up local leaders in Chile. You know, the, the Chilean churches for more than 26 years have never been led by a national. Always someone from the U.S., always someone from outside needed to come and lead their church. And for the first time, we saw before our very eyes how Jesus appointed 
two Chilean evangelists, a Chilean teacher, a Chilean deacon. And now they are training more deacons and elders. That is to the glory of God. And for the first time in 30 years, the church in Chile is on his way very soon to become financially independent, self-supported. Because they have always been supported only from the U.S., from the churches in Florida. And now they are poised to be self-supported. That is unbelievable, guys. That is to the glory of God. Because not only me and my wife, but a group of us decided to die to ourselves. So God can produce all of the fruit. Oh, was dying difficult? <laughs> yes, it was. You know, maintaining a soft and humble heart that longs to be transformed, that wishes to die every day, it is not easy. But looking back, seeing the many fruit that God has produced, I can assure you, I can assure every one of you, with, with my heart in my hand, it is worth it. It is worth it living every day, understanding that to be part of the change, we need to die. Don't be asking for things to change. Ask yourself, what do I must change? What do I must die too. So I have a question finishing up to all of you, for all of you. And the question is, why are you here? Why are you here? If you're visiting with us today, I ask you, why are you here? Are you here to do something religious this week and check mark? Are you here checking it out? Are you here church hopping? Or are you here because you want to know God? Because you know that there's something that needs to change in your heart. If that's that is the case, if you're here because you want to know God and you want to change and you're willing to die, I want to invite you you, friend, family member, neighbor, or co-worker, or somebody from school that are connected with us, I want to invite you, I want to implore with you, plead with you, to study the Bible. Contact someone that invited you to the service and ask them, I want to know the scriptures. I want to know what it says. I want to be close to God. I'm willing to look at my heart. To change, to die, for God to produce much fruit in my life. You know, you have been, you have been wandering in the faith. I ask you, why are you here? I hope you're not here hoping, oh, the church changed and now everything is wonderful. You know, the church is composed of people, and we are a mess. 
beginning with me. I'm a mess. But I want to change. We want to change. I hope you are here because you want to come back home. Because this is family. Families are not perfect. But we're willing to love one another, to die to ourselves, and let God produce all the fruit. I hope you're here to come back home. And brothers and sisters of the great IE region, which we little by little are coming to love more and more, you, my brother and my sister in Christ, I ask you, why are you here? Are you here because you want the church to change? Are you here so the church can meet your needs? Are you here to see if we have the programs that suits your desires? Are you here to receive? Or are you here to die? I hope you are here because you're still willing to die. I hope you are here willing to sit down with God alone and check your heart and be willing to humble yourself and be like that carnal of wheat that falls to the ground and dies and allows God to produce many seeds in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your community, but in turn in the entire church. So why are we here? Well, I hope that you and I can still answer that question with the deep and simple truth of the two words that a great friend of mine, now a teacher in God's kingdom to the churches in Chile, my brother David Hernandez. The two words that are shaping my life. I hope you can answer why are you here with those two simple words. To die. You know, in a moment, we will take communion together. Remembering our Lord Jesus, our Savior, and as we pray for the Lord's Supper, we pray for communion, I pray that we will remember that we will be grateful for that first kernel of wheat that fell to the ground and died for all of us. That was Jesus. Thanks to Him, you and I can take communion today grateful because Jesus was willing and as a matter of fact, fell to the ground and died. And he produced many seeds. Including you and me. So let us pray for communion with grateful hearts. For him who died for you and me. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven. Daddy, we do not deserve 
even to be in your presence. That alone we do not deserve to have you living in us. To have your Holy Spirit dwell in us. That I pray that that we will be grateful this morning. Thinking about Jesus who was perfect. Really didn't have anything to die in his own heart or character. But he physically died for us. I pray that we will take communion grateful. That we will meditate as we take the bread. That represents his body. As we take it and we can think of his body being crushed for our sins. As we take of the juice of the vine, I pray that we will think of his blood being poured out for our sins. And that in turn we'll be grateful and we'll be willing to respond in kind, willing to die because we love you back. Thank you, Father, for your Son. And it's in his name that we pray for communion. Amen.